Well, hello guys, welcome back to The Zone Meets. Another really interesting conversation today with an industry leader. Vicky Gosling OBE is a woman who has achieved a hell of a lot and who does a hell of a lot now in her career. 21 years in the military. She's a board member for the British Olympic Association. She's a strategic advisor and former CEO of the 2016 uh, Invictus Games. She's a, a woman with a huge and varied career that makes her a perfect candidate for a conversation with Zone Meets, exactly the kind of person we want to get on this podcast and speaking with us. Uh, so looking forward to the conversation and very much hope you all enjoy it. Vicky, thanks for doing Zone Meets. Pleasure to be speaking. Uh, I'll allow you to introduce yourself. Thank you. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so um, slightly eclectic background, one would say. Military, 20 odd years, culminating in, in running a helicopter base. Um, I also um, have been sort of involved, well, I'm currently chief exec of GB Snow Sports, which is the national governing body for both Olympic and Paralympic snow sports. I'm the chair of uh, Olympic surfing, um, which is really exciting, British surfing, and, and hopefully soon we'll see parasurfing added into the mix in there as well. Um, I am the chair of Rugby Centurions, which is the organisation which is, uh, celebrates the men and women who've been capped 100 times or more um, on the international stage for rugby, which is now 90 players, I think. Um, and, and aside from that, I sit on the Olympic board and I, I, um, I'm also heavily involved in, uh, in an executive sort of board role with a fintech focusing largely on providing um, finance and supporting those who've been financially excluded or cannot access primetime lending. Wow. So lot, lots, to, lots to keep you busy, lots for us to talk about. Let's start with your background in the military. You spent 21 years in the military. Did you in that time always knew, know that you wanted to transition into, into business, into sport? Or was that something that came to you sort of later in your military career? No, I think throughout my time in the military, it's really interesting. The leadership roles there, I was always sporty. So, you know, I played tennis for the Air Force. I, I did triathlon, um, did skiing, managed the ski squad. So I was always very heavily uh, involved in, in sport. And in fact, when I went to university, I did languages, um, uh, whereas actually my initial preference was sports science. But I ended up doing languages thinking it would give me more versatility. So my time throughout the military was finding the balance between playing and doing sport and actually uh, leading um, within the organisation. But in the military as well, what you tend to do is have secondary duties. And the secondary duties are whereby you actually take on another responsibility and head that up. So during that time, I became a Commodore of the Royal Air Force Water Sports Centre you know, I had significant leadership roles within sports um, alongside my primary roles, which tended to be more operationally focused. So I knew I enjoyed that, that, that the hybrid really of leading, being involved in sport, but also just um, being involved with people and being quite mission orientated. So I didn't think during that time, well, um, I want to go and lead sports. I just enjoyed every experience. And of course, in the military, you're moved around pretty much every two years. So you get a vast amount of leading in different um, types of environments within the military. And that sets you up well for outside. Yeah. And, and, and in, as almost like, as I would see it, in between your current roles and your military roles, you, you in 2016, led the Invictus Games, which is obviously a, a really powerful movement and one that's got a lot of traction on both sides of the pond. Tell us about that experience and that, that product, that brand, 
how do you see it evolving in, in, in the years to come? Yeah, I mean, that was, a, that was a great transition for me, to be fair. So back in 2013, I was involved from the get-go. Um, I became the military exec leader to help set games up. And that was all sort of encompassing by bringing the nations together, by choosing the sports that the, um, you know, we, we would participate in. We had a mantra for the nations that took part then, which was, you know, we, we'd had Afghanistan and Iraq with a, with a biggest sort of conflicts um, on the horizon where we've taken multiple casualties, as you know. So the mantra was, you know, we train together, we fight together, and now we're going to recover together. And so following on from the Games in 2014 in the Olympic Park, which was great because we'd obviously had the Olympics in 2012, um, I was then asked to go on and become the chief executive for the, Olympic, yeah, for the Invictus Games in Orlando. And as you've seen, the brand has just gone, um, you know, it's grown from strength to strength. It, we have done, um, since that time, we went to Canada, we then went to Australia, uh, we went to the Netherlands last year, and then we're heading to Dusseldorf um, next year, well, this year, sorry. Um, and yeah, and it's been, you know, it's been a, a fantastic experience. And then it's already been announced that it's going to be a winter games in 25, which plays to my strengths again, which is quite helpful. So I'm, I'm very much still involved, but, um, on the, uh, on the ministry of defense board, um, as the, it for Invictus for, um, the team UK team. And I, I think, you know, it's still exciting. Sadly, I think, um, you know, that, that what we've seen with Ukraine, well, mean that you know there is still absolutely a need for something for, for you know a vehicle like Invictus, which can celebrate those men and women who have been injured on the battlefield, but also you know provide a vehicle to, to remember those who who have, have served you so well and bring them back together and give them a focus. You touched upon there your your role with with winter sports with GB Snow Sport in particular. It's obviously a passion of yours. That obviously has, I, I assume, challenges in the UK. We're not a particularly winter sports-focused nation. How do you see that that evolving, that role? How do you have snow sports cut through? How do you grow that, uh, sort of the, the prominence of snow sports in the UK as a, as a media product or as a sort of participation product? Well, I think what's really interesting, so I stepped in, um, you know, just over four years ago now. And in that four year period, um, we took it from being um, British Ski and Snowboarding to GB Snow Sports. We merged it with Paris Snow Sports. And we've actually had more athletes on more podiums than ever in British history. In fact, I was doing the maths and I was really excited because we actually have had more podium results in that period, in that four-year period, than, than cumulatively over all the years that have gone before. We've also had uh, two Olympic world champions um, and many, many uh, sort of multi-World Cup winners. Um, and obviously, we saw Dave Riding uh, getting the best result in British history by getting his gold in Kitzbühel in, in the slalom. And I think creating that halo effect and, and, and achieving those results, despite the backdrop of... of the lack of mountain ranges here and the lack of snow is really important because that gives, you know, the kids in the system and the pathways, the hope that it can happen. Um, I think it's really important to, you know, we, there's millions of British um, families that go skiing every year. So it's how we capture their hearts and minds and, and excite them when they see, you know, again, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, we had three, uh, three of our British team, three men, Laurie, Billy, and Dave, all in the top 30. I mean, that's never happened before. Um, and watching that, you know, on Eurosport really engaged people. So it's how you engage people through, through the experience, A, where they can see it, they can, they, they can feel part of it, they can see the British um, 
you know, the British participation and, and the, the success of it. And then encouraging, you know, I think we've got 30 facilities um, in the UK alone in terms of indoor slash domes, and there's more than that now. And we've got a huge snow, um, snow dome facility being built in in, um, in Wales, which is really exciting because it will be the longest snow dome, you know, that we have uh, in terms of uh, slope. So it's how do we give you know, people access is always going to be barriers because it's a costly sport, right? But it, it's really fun to do. You know, families love it. It's very engaging. And and we clearly can produce athletes that, that can become world champions. So it, the, the mountain ranges and the lack of snow isn't holding us back, that's for sure. Well, it's very cool. And yeah, equally cool is your role with British Surfing. You seem to be sort of CEO and chairwoman of, of, of cool sports in the UK. T- tell us about British surfing. Obviously, my my uh, sixteen year old trip to Newquay, where I sort of struggled to get up on a surfboard, was my only real experience. British surfing. Tell me more about that scene and its evolution and its growth. I mean, that is hugely exciting, and I guess probably because <laughs> I've been I've been going to Bournemouth since I was a, a you know a, a little one as well, um, and it you know the fact that you can do it on the doorstep and the fact that we do get waves now they may not they might not be the standard of Portugal or Brazil but they certainly are sufficient to have kids um such as Alice Barton uh, you know coming through the system and being extremely talented and recognized uh, on the European stage right now so it, the fact that it got announced in the Olympics has really helped as great that sport and of course on the back on the back of that then UK sport chose to invest in it so we they, they put what's called progression funding in. So what we're doing um, within British Surfing right now is actually just building the foundations, building you know the processes and protocols around it to be able to select um, and train and uh, a world class team eventually. So we our, our ambition really is to be extremely competitive. You reach right out to uh, Brisbane, but you know prior to that we've got LA. Prior to that we've got Paris. Now Paris is going to be a bit of a long shot. Let's face facts; it's happening next year um, in Tahiti. So it might be a stretch to actually get get the team to qualify for that. But when you look at some of the young talent that we've got and how we can grow that talent and increase that pipeline, you know, the world's our oyster really. In terms of your role, beyond beyond your personal role, you obviously sit across various sports organisations. I know you do a lot of mentoring as well with younger people coming into sport. Going up sort of altitudes and, and thinking about the industry and the challenges that it faces as the next generation of sports fans and executives come through. How are you thinking about that? What, do you, what concerns you about um, managing that transition? What trends do you see amongst young people and young consumers that give you pause for thought or, or concern? How are you looking at the future of sport and, it, and its growth? You know, for me, I think it's it's really how do you make it more of an immersive experience for them? How do you use the content that we have um, to really engage the audience? They want to feel part of it. The sports that I'm I'm talking about in terms of the fan base and um, you know the ones that I specifically am, I'm involved in. You know, the more content we can get into their hands, the better. The more engaged we are with the, with the fan base, the better. They are an extremely engaging fan base anyway because they are cool sports. The activation that you can do around it, you know, just it will. For example, um, who works with me, we were talking the other day about some of the content we've just got back from a, this. A, a junior camp in Portugal and it's addictive right so it's how you get that into other people's hands and how do you 
um, take them on the journey that we're actually creating by telling the stories and, and making them feel part of it. Yeah, I mean, we, thinking about content, we, we talk about this a lot internally too. You've got this generation of sports fans coming in who, who are no longer kids, they're, they're young adults at the top end of their range, sort of 16 to 25 maybe at their, at their, their oldest, who've grown up with the internet, serving them with thousands and hundreds of thousands of, of entertainment formats and different entertainment options that frankly we did not have growing up. I didn't have the internet in, in, in the way that it currently exists when I was a kid. We had a far more narrow set of entertainment options. So for sports to cut through and for sports to uh, engage a consumer in their younger years and develop a lifetime relationship with that consumer, be it for experiences, attendance at events, broadcast products, uh, merchandise, whatever the revenue stream may be, it's really important we find new ways to cut through and, and to engage them. And if we don't, it's obviously the risk that you, you lose them to the broader entertainment world because you're not, you're not competing just with other sport, you're competing with the world of YouTube and music and pop culture more, more broadly. So it's something I think the industry really needs to think about. And it's always interesting hearing opinions and views of people who see it from different perspectives. Um, you know, what are the challenges? What are the, the big threats? What are the big opportunities? So um, that sort of le le leads into the question. Your, your, your mentoring role with, with young people, is that specifically focused in and around sport or is that more, a more broad sort of relationship you have with those, with those kids? To be, to be fair, um, it's it's more focused around sport. It's more focused around sports administration and um, you know how how can we and at the moment it's you know it's largely focused on um, young females, younger females, and and just sharing my my experience, some of the roadblocks I've come across, how to yield, you know, top tips on how to navigate this space. I mean, it's still it's it's fantastic in terms of the improvements of gender balance, but it's still quite male dominated. Um, you know, when you look at the big roles, when you look across rugby, which I'm, you know, I'm privileged to be involved in, but even football, um, there's still quite a bit of breakthrough that needs to happen there. And so I feel, you know, it, it's a great thing to do. It's a great way to give back. And I, I mean, some of the, the youngsters that I'm mentoring, my word, they are incredible. They're far better than I would have ever been. And the skills they've got are amazing. So how do I use my network or, or just, you know, life experience to help them navigate what can be quite complicated space, fun space, but it's, you know, it's challenging at times too. And you mentioned that the sort of male domination of, of senior sports jobs, um, clearly women's sport on the pitch is having have a, a real growth, uh, an overdue growth uh, in the last two or three years. And that's fantastic to see. Are you seeing that starting to reflect in the boardroom as well? Or would you, if not, what do you think the major change levers are and, and how, how can we further those along? I have definitely seen significant improvements, I have to say. Um, and I think time will tell. It was a little bit when, you know, I relate it back to when I joined the military and the population of females, you know, um, I, I, to this day, couldn't never came across a female who had uh, more than two children, for example. So me having three children at group captain level was just unheard of. Um, you know, even that, that was only eight, eight years ago. But it's changed massively in terms of, you know, still that women are, are you know, in the minority, but they are, there's a, a vast, a vast improvement and a huge increase in, in um, percentage terms. And I'm seeing it in sports as well. So I think, 
there's a lot of there's some fantastic men in the sporting world who are very inclusive and um and, and great to to operate with so that really helps because that open mindset's key and also i think having um when they meet some of these incredibly talented women that bring so much to the boardroom and to the sports in general you know why wouldn't you so it's just embracing the talent really and just creating the pathway so it just happens naturally. Definitely trying to push that along here at the zone too. Um, you mentioned earlier your role in fintech, which is one of the many things you're doing as well as raising three three young kids. So it's very impressive. Um, your role in fintech, what have you learned in that space? Obviously a, a, a big disrupted uh, growth area for finance more broadly. Um, what are you doing in that space and what are you looking to achieve? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's been fascinating. It's a really interesting journey. One of the challenges, obviously, I think that you'll find with um, uh, particularly the cost of living for everybody right now, but in, in the military, in um, sporting arenas, you know, finance can be a challenge and actually dealing with personal finance can be a challenge. So I've, I'm really enjoying actually trying to to get this business where we can focus on how do you access credit how do you manage your money better how you know how do you um effectively take somebody from a, a place of where they could be spinning slightly out of control into a more controlled place whereby they've got more brain capacity to deal with the day-to-day because i think there's a huge interlink between you know physical fitness mental fitness and financial fitness and and i i really like uh you know trying to work out how we can bridge that gap and make the improvements all around because when each of those things is functioning well, then then as a person, I think you, you've got a, a good chance of, of enjoying life a lot more. When one of those things, you know, falls off the, the radar, they impact on the others. And it's, it's just creating that connectivity. I've been really focused on here and using technology to sort of, you know, see how we can engage that particular demographic and audience, largely targeting sort of between... 18, 35 year olds, which fits with you know the, the demographic that I've tended to work with largely over my career path. Really interesting, and we really appreciate the time with you today. No problem at all. Lovely to meet you. I look forward to meeting you in person at some point. Thanks, Vicky.